0: Well, I wonder if you would like to get your life in order. Uh, I know I would. If I was to do a show of hands, we're Canadian, I won't ask for a show of hands. That's embarrassing. No one wants to stand out in a crowd. If I was to ask for a show of hands, probably if you raised your hand, you would be in the majority, so you would feel comfortable. Everybody wants to get their life in order, right? At least that's what all the book sales tell us. If, if, you, if you go and walk around a bookstore, if you look at what's trending on Amazon, all the books that they're selling. If you look at the, the countless workshops and seminars and online courses and training, like personal coaches and all these kinds of things, everybody's trying to sell you on this one reality. You need to get your life in order. And it's easy to sell us on that because we feel that reality. We feel the disorder. We, we feel the encroaching of chaos and things falling apart. Around us, we want order. We want efficiency. We want it in our workplaces. We want it in our homes. We want order in our relationships. Be nice, right? In, uh, in all kinds of places. In, in 1990, uh, a man named Dick Wolf started a TV series and... Um, he he apparently was onto something it became quite popular it's still running today it's uh, launched eight spin-off series five video games a full-length feature film international adaptations as of May 19th this year over 1250 episodes of the law and order franchise have been aired think about that for a second 1250 episodes of law and order what's the point the point is people want order and in a fallen world where injustice and chaos abounds our conception of order often is bound up with the reality that we need law we need justice For the chaos to be reigned in, for the evil to be reigned in, it must be done, brought in with justice. Everything must be ordered rightly, seen rightly, responded to rightly, that the good would be named good, the evil would be named evil, and the appropriate and proportionate responses would be taken. It sounds good, right? I'm not setting you up for a trick question. It actually does sound good. Good. The reason it sounds good is because order is part of God's good creation. It's the way he designed this world to work, where everything has its place, everything rightly defined, rightly proportioned, rightly functioning, in its proper place, the proper time, is the way the world is supposed to work. I want to argue this morning, it's a moral category, and it's one that's worth Pursuing this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to try to take a trip starting in Genesis. We want to take a trip through the Bible, through each of the stages of redemptive history, from creation and fall and redemption and new creation. Although ironically, we might do it a little bit out of order um, as as we go through. Um, I'll, I'll leave that up to you to figure out in a minute. In any case, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to ask what each stage of redemptive history, what each stage of unfolding history in scriptures actually teaches us about order. What does it say to us? The first thing we see is this creation tells us, creation tells us that order is good. How does creation tell us that? There's all kinds of ways. One one is simply the theme of separating. Did you pick up on it as James was reading through? In verse four, this is the first time we come across it, God saw that the light was good, and so what's the appropriate response? If something is good, and then there's, there's, there's an other thing, darkness, that's not, what's the response to separate? So you separate the good from what is not. You separate the light from the darkness. You pick up on this in verse six. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it... Separate the waters from the waters so that the earth would become habitable, a place where humans can live. Verse 7, God made the expanse and separated the waters. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. The day when we live, the night when we sleep. And he put these lights in the heavens, verse 18, to rule over the day and over the night to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. What is he doing? He creates, and then all of his ordering work is separating, 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 putting everything in its proper place for its proper time. And everything is created. Did you notice this? According to its kind. According to its kind. Everything is categorized. Everything is defined and understood and delimited. Look at verse 11. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. Look at verse 12. Now the trees bearing fruit in which is their seed again, each according to its kind. Verse 21 of chapter 1. God created the sea creatures. Now we're talking about living things, not just plants. Every living creature that moves with the water, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. So the animals for the heavens, the animals for the seas, all of the, or for for the seas, all of them according to their kinds. What about on earth? Verse twenty-four. And God said, "Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds." Livestock, and as James said, creepy things, amen, (laughs) things that creep, I find creepy too. Um, A little bit of a Freudian slip, I guess, in reading scripture, I get it. Uh, Creepy things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, And it was so, don't miss this, as all of the creatures come to the, the the account comes to a climax in verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. You cannot escape it. In creation, what God is doing is he is categorizing and placing everything in its proper place. Everything is ordered. Even the way the work of God is revealed to us, you know that God doesn't need to work in days, right? The, the, the God who speaks can create in an instant. He can do everything in an instant. But the way that revelation reveals God working in creation, you, you picked up on the pattern. I'm sure you've seen this. There was evening and there was morning first day, evening and morning a second day, evening and morning a third day, six days. There's evenings and mornings. Here's what, uh, here's what commentator Bruce Waltke, an Old Testament scholar, here's what he writes about this. He says, the presentation of creation through days reveals God's sovereign ordering of creation and God's care to accommodate himself to humanity in finite and understandable terms. See, God doesn't have to work in days, but he does work in days. Why? Because he's trying to show us what it looks like for our work to be ordered, to set a pattern for us so that we can follow after him. He says God's decision to create the cosmos through successive days, not instantaneous fiat, serves as a paradigm for the development of humanity through successive eras of history. This is the way we're going to continue to see God work even as he restores order to the chaos through the rest of the Bible. There's a plan, and God works his plan. Everything in successive stages in the right time, and this is the way that we're going to be called to work as well. There's work, and there's rest. A first day second day, third day. But at the end of each day, there's rest. And at the end of all the work, at the end of the week, rather, for us, because we know the work's never done. But at the end of the week, what does God set an example for us? What does he do? He rests. You ever wonder why um, this notion seems so important to us of trying to find this work-life balance? Seems like it just consumes our thoughts, right? When you think about what kind of a job you want to have, what career you want to be in for the rest of your life. God built this into creation that there would be a time to work, and a time to rest. Everything is ordered. Everything has its place. Work has its place. Rest has its place. Everything is categorized. Everything's named. You could go through the account seven times God names or blesses things, which is to say once he creates them, he puts them in their category. He organizes them according to their kind. He evaluates them. He calls them by their name. This is what you are. He gives them identity, and he gives them purpose, and he blesses them saying, now go forth and do what you were created to do. Everything was created for a purpose. It was creating according to its kind, and it was blessed in the order that it was given. And over all of it, the crown feature of God's order of creation was he put man to rule over all that he had made. There must be a ruler for there to be order. So verse 28 says this, God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over every living thing that moves on the earth. See those three categories, those are the categories, right? The animals for the heavens, the animals for the waters, the animals for the dry land, and man to rule over all of it, everything in its place, and man over all of it. God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of all the earth, every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. This is like, um, this picture is like, uh, it's not like when dad leaves the house, at least not in our home. When I leave the house and, and the kids, and, and it's like, okay, you guys are in charge, good luck, and then I go. Um, This is like mom leaving the house, which is like, okay, I've, I've already made three meals for you. I've given you instructions on how to heat them up. I've done the grocery shopping. Okay, your clothes are laid out. Like all the preparations are made. That's not how I leave. That's how she leaves, right? This is what God did in creation. He ordered everything. He planned everything. He set it all up and he gave it to his people and said, it's all in place for you. Now, be fruitful and multiply and enjoy it and rule over all of it. And God says, with man crowned with dominion over all creation. In verse 31, he saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And again, evening and morning, the sixth day. This all sounds so nice, right? And you compare that to our existence. I was thinking about this week just trying to do laundry. Like, I don't even do a ton of laundry in our house. Like, our kids pretty much do their own laundry and stays, you know, she takes care of most, I mean, she does everything for me. Who am I trying to kid? So, like, but, but, like, on the off chance that I do try to do it, here's... (laughs) Uh, you know, you go down and it's like, oh, someone else is using the machine. It's like, okay, no, you get the right time. Okay, good. And then there's like, there's no pods or like detergent or whatever it is that you use, or like you get it and and then you and then you get it in and then you forget it. I was talking to a guy this week. He's like, yeah, I didn't know you couldn't leave your laundry. He left his laundry in the washing machine for like three days. But you know, you know, you know what happens, right? <laughs> it gets wet and then it smells like. And but but maybe you remember and you actually flip it. You put it in the dryer and you underdry. You take it out too early and then oh, that's a mess. Or you. Overdry and it shrinks and that's terrible. And then you like, and, and then you remember to, you know, you, maybe you, you bring it upstairs into your room or whatever. Do you fold it right away? Otherwise it gets wrinkly. I forget it gets wrinkly. And, and then there's that last step, which is like the hardest, which is actually putting it away, uh, especially in our home. Cause when I do try to help with that, there's like all the kids have clothes that are like, Similar sizes, and it's all girl stuff, and I don't understand any of it. And so I don't know, I'm putting like the wrong kids' things in the wrong kids' drawers. And, and then so when they try to find stuff, they can't find stuff. And then, like, you wake up on a Sunday morning, even when you've got all that done, and your clothes are in the drawers, and you open your drawers, and you can't find anything you want to wear anyway. Like, that's like the climate. Like, it's so frustrating. And that's doing, long- that's like clothing yourself. This is the basic function of humanity, right? And it is so complicated. There's so many variables of how this could go wrong. There are millions of things like this in your life. You wonder why life is stressful? Everything is warring against order. It feels like it's impossible to grasp. And this is the world that we live in. We're just trying to get dressed in the morning. Why, why is it gone wrong? Why is it disordered? When we were created for this, when we long for this, when God did this, well, it's because of the fall. It's because of sin, and what sin does to God's good and ordered creation. Here's what the fall tells us about order. The fall teaches us. Fall teaches us that sin is disordered. Um, I was talking to someone earlier in the week, and they were sick, and they were coughing, and I was like, I don't know what I've got. And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe it's a cough. You know, because you're coughing. So in my mind, it's simple. You've got a cough or a cold, like one of those things, because those things I associate with coughing. Um, Sin and disorder are associated with one another. Where you see one, the other is present. And you pick up on this from, from the fall, from the temptation and the first sin itself. Look at Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Pause and reflect. What have we read about the beasts of the field that the Lord God has made? Everything's ordered, right? Right? Everything's in its proper place. But now all of a sudden there's one, a creature, that's rising up above and beyond its place. And if you pause and reflect, somehow there is an angelic being from the heavenly realms that's already come out of its realm, out of its ordered place, into this realm, into earth, and entered into a creature. So something is already disordered. But now the creature comes and begins, this crafty creature, begins to talk to the woman and begins to subvert the order of creation where man is supposed to rule over the beasts, but here the beast of the field is tricking the man, or the woman. So again, chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent being more crafty, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, the you there, when... The serpent asks her. The you is plural. He's asking her to function as the representative decision maker for humanity. Now, here, here's why that's evidence of disorder, that sin that Satan himself is bringing. In chapter 2, look at chapter 2 and verse 15. Look at what God did. Chapter 2 and verse 15. The Lord God who had made all things and ordered all things, right? At this point, he's made Adam. He has not yet made Eve. He's not yet created her. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man specifically before the woman was even created, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die." God gave his command to Adam to function as the representative head, the leader for humanity. That's not just a pre-fall thing. Look at chapter 3, after Adam and Eve's sin, in verse 8. Look at the way this is worded. They, together... Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, both of them, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man specifically and said to him, singular, where are you, singular? Here's the point. There was an order to creation. An ordering of of God dealing with humanity, but also an ordering of relationships. An ordering of the husband and wife relationship in the garden that Satan, by his subversive tactics, has already inverted. Not just the order of creature and man, but also wife and husband, and also all of humanity now against God, because we don't believe that he's good and can be trusted. Everything that he's doing in temptation and leading them into sin is subverting God's good order. So the God who had separated and separated and separated and separated and brought order. Do you know the next time we read that word separation, the next time we read about separation in the scriptures? In Exodus chapter 26. Here's the description of how they're supposed to create the tabernacle, how they're supposed to build it. Exodus 26 and verse 33, You shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil, and the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You know what separation is happening now? There was light and darkness, day and night, waters above from waters below, waters of seas from the dry land. Everything was separated, separated. We were supposed to walk together with God, but now because of sin, we're the ones being separated from God. Sin has brought disorder to all of it. So we are separated from him by this veil. We can't go into his presence. We are held back from him. We who were created to know the blessing of walking with him in the cool of the day, to know the blessing, the blessing of his face shining on us. Do you remember in in Numbers chapter 6, the blessing that we were to put on, that the priests were to put on the people so that they would receive the blessing? It was a blessing of the Lord lifting up his face, his countenance, and letting his face shine on them. But this is what happens now because of sin. In Isaiah chapter 59, we read this, but your iniquities have made a separation. Between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. The face of God must be turned away from us. There must be relational separation between us because sin. Sin has brought disorder to God's creation and the result is that we are separated from him. And the separation from the God of order, the God who created, the God who gives life, it brings chaos to all things. The disorder spreads like wildfire. From weeks that won't be ordered, to lawns that won't stay weed free, to relationships that constantly need maintenance to be upkept, to well-constructed societies falling apart bit by bit. This is encoded into our reality. We're going to see this in the coming weeks as we think about the fall. the the reality that there will be disorder and strife in our marriages, in our childbearing, our attempts to have children, but also then our raising of children, in our relationship with animals, in our relationship with the earth, in our relationship with our work. There is chaos and pain written into the coding of all that we will experience now in fallen creation until ultimately nation will rise against nation and person against person and people created in the image and likeness of God, inequality before God will create castes and systems to separate and segregate from one another, over one another, to use and abuse one another. All because we rebelled against God, the God of order and what he has said. In choosing to go our own ways, we're, we're proclaiming that we want our order rather than God's. The problem is, if you've got billions of people each choosing their own order, we've got chaos. It's, um, it's the effect of the 401, right? Like, you're driving on the 401, and on a day when there's not so much traffic that you can actually drive at a good clip, and uh, someone decides that the left lane's not for passing anymore, <laughs> the left lane's for doing, like, maybe the speed limit, maybe not even, and the person in the middle is like, I'm just in the middle, so no one bothers me. I'm just going to camp out here and not pay any attention to what's going on. And, and so now if you're like a law-abiding citizen trying to, you know, your conscience is telling you drive the speed limit. So you're in the right lane like you should be driving the speed limit. And now all of a sudden some guy, you, know, you might call him a different name when this happens, <laughs> comes like whipping around from both the two left lanes into the right lane to try to pass. He comes right up behind you. And then there's All of us just making our own decisions about which lane we want to go in and what speed rather than abiding by the systems. So that all of our decisions impact everyone else. So that all of our sin is simply a participation in the bringing of chaos and disorder to this world. We do it. We do it in all kinds of ways. If God says the tree of life is good, then we're going to believe that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is better. If God says, I've created man and woman to live together in a covenantal union that celebrates love and faithfulness and procreates children, we'll make sex about literally everything else other than that. If God creates us male and female, we'll take masculinity and femininity and distort it all day long till it's unrecognizable and then discard it and say, I was a social construct anyway. We choose our own ways. We bring disorder and sin leads to more and more and more disorder until ultimately, you know where it leads? It leads to a king, the king of all creation, the one who spoke all things into existence, the king crowned on a cross. In the middle of the day where there should be the brightest light, there is darkness. The people who should be the people of God now cheering his death and celebrating. The only righteous one, condemned and crucified. The giver of life, suffering death. It's the height of disorder as hell cheers and heaven weeps, and Jesus suffers and dies. Our sin brings disorder. This is the fallen world that we live in. I, I said we're going to do the story out of order, and I actually didn't mean it. I want to I jump ahead from the fall. I want to jump ahead all the way to new creation. I want to think about our hope. Here, here's what new creation tells us about order. New creation testifies that there will be order. There will be. This much is certain. As God begins new creation, not with preparing everything for Adam, but with raising the last, the true, the better Adam from the dead and beginning with Adam, the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn of all the resurrection, new creation begins with him. And when Jesus pictures the end, when Jesus pictures the beginning, the new beginning, here's how it begins. In Matthew 25, this is what he says. It begins with separation. Matthew 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. The evil separated from the righteous. This must be. Order will be restored. Unless you think it's temporary, the one who brought the disorder in the first place will himself finally be destroyed. In Revelation chapter 20, here's the picture that we're given Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them, that ancient serpent from the beginning, what will happen to him? He was thrown into the lake of fire. And sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It is certain. It is final. It is without end. And this will be the separation, the order that our God brings. So that the good will finally, ultimately, and forever be separated from the evil. This is the picture of new creation in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, we've been reading about their creation, they had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. How fitting! There's preparation. And she's prepared specifically for her husband. Everything is ordered. Everything's in its proper place. Everything is set up rightly. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, from the throne, saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. There was separation, right? But now there's not. He's with us. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you pick up on the distinction? This is the right ordering. He's God, we're not. He's God, we're the people. Everything in its proper place. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things, all the disorder, all of it. passed away. This is not a pipe dream. The the Apostle John, when when he wrote these words in Revelation 21, he knew it was hard for people in fallen and disordered creation to believe. And so he wrote these words for us in the next verse. In verse 5, Revelation 21, verse 5, and he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. And he added this. He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Trustworthy and true. This order is our future. More certain than summer that feels like it's never going to come. More certain than the end of a sermon. More certain than death and taxes. More certain than your next breath. His words are trustworthy and true. This is our future. So, what we were created for, what we see in creation that sparks the longing, that builds the desire. It's a good desire. It's a right desire. And we lament the loss of it in the fall, but we live in hope of that future reality that we know it's not lost. We know it will come. We know we will see it. And so where does that leave us now? Here's the fourth thing. The last thing is this, redemption. Redemption tells us to bring order to earth. So in the, in the storyline of Scripture, oh, you guys are on this side, I should do it this way. storyline of Scripture, okay, so begin with creation, and then there's fall, and if there's new creation, that's the hope of where we're going. In the middle, God is redeeming his creation, and in this in-the-middle stage, until the new creation, what do we learn? We are told to bring order to earth, and you might ask, and you would do well to ask, who in the world are we to bring order to earth? We're the ones who by our sin... Have brought chaos. Well, we're people, if you are a follower of Jesus, we are people who live in light of the cross. The cross where Jesus hung in the darkness as the Father turned his face away from him instead of us and on the cross as he died and said, it is finished. The veil of the temple was torn in two forever. The access has been made. The division between us and God has been removed so that if you put your trust in Jesus, the turning away, the separation of relationship, all of it can be removed and we can forever be reconciled to our God and live and now in light of what he has done for us in the cross restoring us to God we become agents of his order in his fallen creation you think about this think about the great commission what does the great commission tell the church to do to go and to make disciples, to help people enter into right relationship with their God. And what is that right relationship? It's the relationship of a servant to a king or a child to a father, a right relationship where we obey. So Jesus says, teach those disciples to obey all that I have commanded until the end of the age, until new creation. So that all of our life, as we go and make disciples and mature disciples and help one another grow as disciples, all of our life is bringing our lives in order to what our King Himself has commanded, and I think I think we intuitively get how this works. Sometimes we don't think it through as deliberately as we should, but I, th- I think we intuitively get it. I remember once I was traveling in a uh, town in a third world country, and, and the host. Uh, one of the hosts who was driving me around was showing me different things and helping me understand the culture and the country that we were in. And one of the things that he said to me was, Oh, you can tell where Christians live. Christians were in the minority, but he said, You can tell which houses belong to Christians. I said, How how can you tell that? And he said, Oh, they're the ones that are ordered. He said they, they may not have money, but their houses are in order. That struck me. There's something intuitive that we get about this. This is where it must begin, right? It must begin here. As we labor to bring order, I think it's important to think about what the New Testament does with this in terms of horizons, what horizons we engage on. Because a lot of times when we think about bringing order, we immediately sort of jump to political or social or socioeconomic. Think about how do we change the world? But if you think about what the New Testament does, the New Testament starts by, first of all, reordering us, right? If if God works by the word and by his spirit, what what does his spirit do when he comes into us? He brings the fruits of the spirit. He brings love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what that is? That's a life that's ordered by God's word. Paul says there's no law against any of these things because this is what God desires. God's word works in you. His spirit empowers you to order your life by his word. Your life, personal holiness, is the first horizon of order. And then from you, it extends to your household. You ever think about why the New Testament spends so much time, so many different books, think about household order, but how husbands and wives relate and how children relate to their parents and how fathers are not supposed to exasperate their children and how we interact in that context with the household servants who who live there. Why? Because order that begins with us must first of all impact and structure our homes, our households. And then in 1 Timothy and Titus, Paul does this thing where he says, hey, whoever's going to be a leader in God's household should have his own household in order because the church, the church is God's household. That's the next horizon from, from our personal holiness and order of life to the order of our households to the order of the church where there are right leaders and right teaching of the gospel and right members, where the right separation is done so that those who are believers are in and those who are not are out. But among those who's in, there is love, in equality and generosity. So that whether you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, all are on equal footing and equal standing within the household of God. And then beyond the church, it extends and it abounds as you love your neighbors as yourself. What about broader society, though? Because that that really is one of the things that has been pressed on our minds and on our cultural awareness, specifically over the last several years. Right? We live in a world where systems are broken, where there is disorder, and where people are being Hurt and f- felt like they're not being seen or heard, how should a Christian respond? Well, on a base level, we should lament the disorder, the disorder that results in injustice, and we should repent personally for whatever our responsibility is in participating in that repentance toward God and we should long for the hope of new creation and in longing for that hope in a society that's perfectly ordered by God we labor now to bring justice wherever and whenever we can recognizing recognizing that new creation's not here yet So we live in a confident assurance that justice will come. But it's a confident assurance that doesn't breed apathy, but desire and longing to labor to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. We start, friends, we start with ourselves. We start with these questions. What what in me remains disordered? Where am I still contending for the throne and refusing to let my relationship with God be ordered as he is the king and I am the person? Where where is order lacking in my heart? Where is order lacking in my home? Where is order lacking in my church where I can labor to bring God's order here? So that in every horizon... Of our lives with hope in new creation, with patience and with zeal, we not only long for but labor to bring God's order to fallen creation so that we, the church, can function as agents, agents of the order, of the God of order. Let's pray.